If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, and if you don't have your Bible, this text will be printed for you in the bulletin. As we continue our sermon series called One Gospel, as we make our way through this book called Galatians, and of all the books in the Bible, and by the way, there's 66 of them, this book might have the sharpest edge to it. This book has a unique tone. It's really a, a tone of a bit of anger, a bit of disbelief. Uh, the writer Paul is angry about what is happening in the churches of Galatia because they're abandoning the gospel. They're turning away from good news. And this gospel, he's upset. The tone is be- there because, well, this gospel, this you're forgiven in love message, this gospel is under attack. And under attack of the reality that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is good, but it's not good enough. And so they were taking this incredible good news and they're just kind of making it more like good advice or this gospel of Jesus Christ is good news and making it more like fake news. And the reason Paul's so upset, there's really, there's two fronts of attack that are happening in the book of Galatians. What they are doing is, There are some troublemakers, the texts have said. There's these false brothers that have come in and they have two fronts of attack. They're attacking both the message and they're attacking the messenger. They're attacking the message of the gospel. They're saying that, yes, this this Jesus is Messiah. That's true, they were saying. This Jesus, you need to have faith in him. But they were saying that you need to have Jesus plus Moses. Jesus wasn't enough. You need Jesus plus things like circumcision and some religious stuff and some dietary stuff and, and this law. So they would say the good news is that Jesus is the Messiah, but you got to add to that. And what's happening in the Bible is this. It's Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus anything at all equals a false gospel. Amen. You put anything with the, the hope of Jesus and, and you don't have the real gospel. I think of the song, maybe some of you uh, could sing with me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I mean, this main reality is you can't add anything to that. So they were attacking this primary message of the gospel. And it was so foundational and important for them because this is life and death. This is freedom and slavery, not just for them, but for you and for me. We got to look at what is this argument? They also were attacking the messenger, Paul. Paul, who had gone as a missionary and started these churches and, and now we're starting to turn away from Jesus. And the attack on Paul was this. He's not the real deal. He's not a real apostle. He, he gives himself this apostle stuff. But, but Jesus, Jesus picked the first 12 himself. I mean, Jesus handpicked the 12. He, what about this Paul? He's a Johnny come lately. And he, he really doesn't know. I mean, matter of fact, this Paul, he, he never even saw Jesus when he walked on earth. So he's not the real deal. He doesn't really know. Don't really listen to him. And Paul will say, listen, my, my apostleship, my calling, it didn't come from me. It wouldn't come from a council of people. They didn't take a vote. I didn't get the majority. The reality is the resurrected Jesus himself met me on the road to Damascus. Even in the midst of the fact I was persecuting the church. He says, Paul, I'm calling you to myself. I'm going to give you a special ministry, a special calling, and you're going to go and you're going to tell good news to the Gentiles. So as we make our way to chapter three, we're going to see this. The truth of the gospel is what we're going to uh, focus on. In this text, uh, twice 
It's going to tell us the truth of the gospel. This is the truth of the gospel. And we're going to see three things. The first thing we're going to see is the proof of the gospel. The second thing we'll see is the proclamation of the gospel. And thirdly, we'll see the practice of the gospel. Now, this text has two unique, specific scenes that will be represented. The first scene is a private scene. The first scene takes place in Jerusalem. Very interesting of who takes place of this. It's the Apostle Paul and a traveling companion that has started these early churches. Barnabas is with him. But then you have a third character there, a guy named Titus. And Titus is going to be an important part of this story. Titus is a Gentile believer. He's somebody who didn't grow up in a Jewish tradition that, that like us, he came to Christ. Like us, he heard the good news of the gospel. And he said, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And they meet with three what's called pillars of the church right there in Jerusalem. They're going to meet with Peter, who in this text sometimes is referred to as name Cephas. They're also going to meet with James. Now, James in the New Testament could be confusing. Uh, there's James and John, the, the sons of thunder, that were two disciples. This is not that James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And the beautiful thing about the story of the Bible is that when Jesus had his earthly ministry, James didn't even believe him to be the Messiah. It wasn't until the resurrection that James was all in. James would write the book of James, and James would become one of these pillars in the church the leader in the church council in Acts chapter 15. So you have Peter, you have James, and then you have John. And in that first scene, there's going to be just this great unity and oneness as, as Paul and Barnabas and, and Titus meet with Peter and James and John, and there's oneness and there's unity. The second scene we're going to look at is a public scene in Antioch. Antioch would become the central hub of Christianity. Antioch is kind of like the ends of the earth, but, but it's where Christians first got their names, where they were first called what we are called Christians. And this conference, this scene is a different one than the first one. This is a scene of confrontation. You have two heavyweights. You have in this corner, the apostle Paul, who newly apostleship, and he is going to go toe to toe with Peter, the apostle Peter himself. And there's going to be a public confrontation TMZ in the day would have had a haywire. I mean, they would have gone crazy. They say, are you kidding me? These are, these are like two of the biggest names in the church. And here they go toe to toe. What could cause these two apostles to square off in public against one another? Well, again, we're going to look at this because why? Because the truth of the gospel was at stake. So let's look to God's word as the apostle Paul had penned for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at Galatians 2, verses, uh, verse 1 through 14. Well, this was written a long time ago to a specific group of people because inspired by the Holy Spirit, this was written for you. And God wants to talk to you through this. And he doesn't want to just entertain you. He wants to tell you good news that will transform you. So may we all lean in to God's word. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, Paul writes, with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, 
was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I said, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, which is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now here's scene two. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, we thank you for this section of your holy word and God, on the surface, we could see a lot of the, the anger or a lot of the passion through this. Golly, in many ways, in the first read, it's a bit confusing. What's the point? What's the argument? What's the deal? But God, you've mentioned in this that twice, that in this is the truth of the gospel. And because you are the God of all truth, And the gospel is the good news of what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. Would you come and be teacher? Would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? Oh, Father God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you give us hearts to embrace your truth? And God, would you be with us in such a powerful and winsome way that you would empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong or just merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his glorious name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me in your bulletin, you will find an outline The first thing in this text we're going to see is the proof of the gospel. In this text, we're going to see basically that this is like a litmus test. This is like a uh, test case of the gospel. We're going to have exhibit A. We're going to have exhibit B. 
and we're going to have exhibit C. And all of them will tell us that, that we are made right before God, that we are justified, that we, by God's grace alone, through, through faith alone, and the work of Christ alone can truly be saved and set free. Uh, we have uh, exhibit A is going to be Titus. How are we going to handle Titus? Titus is brought into this inner circle. He's brought into the, the pillars of the church, the foundation of the beginning of the early church. And here comes Titus. He's uncircumcised. And he's not a Jew. What's going to happen? So we have exhibit A. Exhibit B is going to be Paul's gospel. He's going to say, hey, I went and I want to make sure I wasn't running in vain. I want to make sure that these false teachers were, were not going to get the upper hand. So I told them, this is my gospel. It's very interesting. He says, he tells them that in the present tense. This is the gospel that I am preaching. It's what I have preached, is what I am preaching, and this is what I will continue to preach. That's exhibit B. And exhibit C, well, that's you and me. We'll get to that in just a minute. But through this, we're going to see that the gospel purity must be maintained at all costs. That this is, there's truth in this. And this is really a, a matter of not just some theological precision or, or a matter of opinion. There's, there's slavery versus freedom, life versus death, gospel, truth, and purity. The first one is exhibit A, it's Titus. So Titus with Paul and Barnabas in tow, uh, they march him in. They march him into these pillars. They said, okay, guys, here he is. This is the fruit of the gospel right here. This is what happens when you preach the gospel. People like Titus, who didn't grow up Jewish, who didn't know about a Jewish Messiah, have heard about the good news of Jesus Christ. And this guy right here, he surrendered his life. He's become new. He can't get over that his sins, he's singing forgiven and free all the time. But by the way, he's not circumcised. What are you gonna do? Is salvation that yes, you have to embrace Christ as savior plus circumcision or not? Exhibit A, Titus, true born again, spirit filled believer. What do we do with him? Well, we don't circumcise him because why that'd be adding on to the gospel. Why that'd be changing the gospel. That's not good news. So exhibit A is Titus. And although those false teachers had come in, although they had stirred up the churches and saying, Paul's not right. He's only giving you partial story. He's only talking about faith in Jesus. You really need the other stuff. You need Moses if you're going to get it right. Well, there you have it. Titus is exhibit A. All you need is Christ alone. Exhibit B is the gospel that Paul was preaching. Paul is preaching that, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to scripture. Paul was preaching that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the spirit and the will of the father. He was preaching that in him alone that we can have redemption and forgiveness, that, that we can be brought into the family. That and that alone was, Christ, uh, that was Paul's message, his gospel. He's gonna preach nothing else. So he's laid it before him. So, okay, here, here you go, pillars. This is what I'm preaching. And he says this, they added nothing to me. There wasn't one thing I, like, Hey, Paul, let me pull you aside here. You a good, good start. Okay. We're grateful for you to go to those uncircumcised folks. I guess they need it too, but here's what you really got to tell them. They added nothing to him. Exhibit B Titus a B was uh, Paul's gospel. And what do they do? The conclusion is they extended them him the right hand of fellowship, basically saying, Paul, we're with you, bro. Paul, this is the same gospel we're preaching. 
We're in one accord with this. And what is exhibit C? Well, it's the proof of the gospel. And now you ready for this? It's us. It's, it's, it's who they were, who we are is the proof of the gospel. The proof of the gospel is salvation. That we are living proof that God loves broken sinners like us so much that he's given us new life. He's, he's made us new creations in Christ Jesus. He's taken us from darkness into life. We're living proof. We're exhibit C. And also he says, the proof of the gospel is freedom. It's freedom. He said, those, there's some guys that snuck in. They're, they're, they're spying out our freedom. They want to make us slaves again. And I tell you, this is language to us. is like really confusing. What are you talking about freedom and slavery? I mean, we, we have a certain image of, of slavery and, and, and how heinous that was in our country or maybe slavery around the world. But this is a different kind of freedom and slavery he's talking about. He's talking about that, that in the gospel, there's this freedom that Jesus really was enough. Now, hang on. That, that there's nothing that we need to do. There's no righteousness of ourselves or there's no religious acts or there's no hoops that, that we need to jump through. Because if it was Jesus plus baptism, circumcision, sacraments, you, your righteousness, whatever it is, that's slavery. Because if it's Jesus plus, you know what we always wonder? Am I good enough? Did I do the right things? Gosh, did my baptism work? Do I really view the sacraments rightly? I mean, am I living a good enough life? And that's slavery. For all of us who, who forget this, for all of us who still try to, to, to earn our salvation, and you know the fear of that, you feel of that slavery, that, that Satan wants to whisper in your ear, you're just not good enough. You're just not living right enough. And, and Paul is saying, listen, living proof of the gospel is freedom. Is that, that we are so radically loved and forgiven and free. And it's all about him and it's not about you. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. So the proof is, it, is our salvation. The proof is in our, our freedom. And by the way, we'll, we'll address this coming up in the, in the upcoming chapters. But also the proof of the gospel is the Holy Spirit. Again, we'll, we'll deal with this in chapter three in two weeks. But I love it. Paul says, listen, this Holy Spirit... Part of the triune God is given to those who believe that God, incredibly, Emmanuel, God makes his home inside of us. I mean, this Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing that God loves us and is for us. And he's making us more like Jesus. And then he says this, listen, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to those who were moral. The Holy Spirit wasn't given to those who were circumcised and kept the law. It didn't work. This Holy Spirit fell to those who believe. So the proof of the gospel exhibits C, you and me, saved, loved, forgiven, free, filled with the spirit and free in Christ Jesus. The proof of the gospel. The second thing is, is the the proclamation of the gospel. In the gospel, the gospel is one gospel. It's not changing. It is, it will be, and forever will be. It will never change no matter what context you find it. It'll never change over the years and the time. There is one good news of the gospel of what God has done for us through the work of his son. That will never change depending on context or circumstance or people. But it's to be proclaimed in all context to all people in all circumstances, and through whatever method God has called us to preach it. It's going to look different. It's going to sound different. 
It might even just have a different way about it in certain ways because of the people. There are different styles. There's certainly different emphasis, different audiences, but there's one gospel. They're realizing this. Okay, here's the deal. We got to divvy up who's doing what. These pillars, Peter, James, and John, we, we, got, we got the circumcised group. We got the Jews. Because remember, in the book of Acts, resurrected Jesus told us that the good news of the gospel, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile, where does it start? Jerusalem. We're here. It goes to Judea. It goes to Samaria and the ends of the earth. And guess where the ends of the earth is? Antioch. You guys got them. In a lot of ways, you got to think, well, golly, that wasn't a very fair. I'll take the Jews. You take the rest of the world. But they divided it up. Peter and James and John were going to say, hey, we got them. Paul, Barnabas, you go to the ends of the earth. The reality is this. It's not just their story, it's ours. You see, in the good news of the gospel, God does something marvelous and amazing. He pulls us into his story. He, he pulls us into his love story. He makes us a part of the story. I mean, we're, we're his lost sheep. We're his treasured possessions that he came to give life to. I mean, we're, we're those. We're his bride. We're part of the story. Are you ready for this? Not only are we part of the story, we're the storytellers. We're the ones he sends out. We're the ones who are here to proclaim the good news of what God has done for us in our settings, in our context. No matter if you're, you're a stay-at-home mom or you're, you're working in the, in, the, in the business world or you're a student or you're a business owner or a teacher, or doc, whoever you are, wherever God has you, if you are a child of God, if you have been called into a relationship with him, we're the aroma of Christ. We're the storytellers. We're the ambassadors. We're exhibit C. We're the reality that the gospel is real and we have the privilege of proclaiming it. Remember, we can't cave in to change the gospel, make it something it's not. We live in a society that says, you, you Christians, you guys are so exclusive. You, you Christians, I mean, we'd embrace you a little bit more if you weren't just all about this Jesus guy. I mean, can't it just be Jesus and somebody else a little bit? I mean, you guys all think it's just all about him. I mean, so if you guys get a little bit broader, if you can kind of do away with some things that, that are divisive, if you could play a little nicer, then maybe we could all embrace one another. We just can't do it. Because as a storytellers, we have one story, that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the embodiment. He is the truth. And Jesus is the life. Listen, there's just no other way to the Father except through him. We got one message to share. We can't alter that message. It's a message of hope. It's a message of good news. But we go wherever he sends us to share it. And the last thing is, is the practice of the gospel or kind of the, the implications of the gospel. Now this good news has come. We've seen the proof of that reality. We have the proclamation of it. And what is the practice of the gospel? As soon as they say, add nothing to this, immediately they say, but by the way, give to the poor. Give to the poor. I say, that's the very thing we're eager to do. Why? Because God is a just God. God is a merciful God. His kingdom will come and he's gonna, he's gonna bring his shalom over all the earth. But now as his people, we gotta look out for the broken. We gotta look out for the needy. I think that there's a reminder to love our neighbors as ourselves. There's a reminder to, to look out for those who are in need. Why? Because in so many ways it encapsulates, encapsulates, that's it. It's the gospel. Because here's what it happens. Here's the reality. In the gospel, 
Jesus, creator, sustainer, owner of all things, the one who is rich, becomes poor. He empties out all that is rightfully his, and he takes on the form of a, of a man, truly, fully God, fully man. He, he's born in a dirty manger. He grew up with nothing. I mean, they didn't have a place to lay his head. I mean, at the end of his life, they're going to gamble for the one thing he owned, the little garment that he wore. And he's poor. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, became poor. Why? To rescue you. To, to come after you. To find you. Jesus became poor so that, watch this, through his poverty, the poverty of humanity and being broken, his poverty becoming our sin, that in Christ Jesus, we who are poor can become rich. Riches of Christ Jesus, all the inheritance of Christ is ours. All the things in the spiritual realms are ours in Christ Jesus. Love that is lavished upon us, forgiveness that is free and total, all ours. We become rich in Christ Jesus. We ought to remember the poor because why we are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What do we have to give to him? Nothing. What do we add to the equation? Nada. But he loves us. And now we're to give our lives and remind ourselves to demonstrate, practice the gospel. I love the fact that we have a mission trip coming out to help those who are still struggling with the storm. If you're, if you're able to do that, I know you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed by us that you'll, we could send you. Go. For those of you who can't go give, we're going to take a special collection next week. And it's not just in times of need like this. It's all the time. Remember the poor. Secondly is this, have fellowship with others. We should have a fellowship with others. The gospel unites us. This, what was happening in the early church was amazing. Jews and Gentiles didn't hang out together. They didn't go in each other's houses. They, the Jewish folks were forbidden to sit down and have a meal with them. But it crazy, it was Acts chapter 10 and 11 that Peter himself gets a revelation that all food is clean. And by the way, there's a guy named Cornelius going to his house. He's a Gentile. Hang out and eat with him. And it really helped revolutionize the church. Peter knew better. This text says Peter's hypocrisy. He was play acting. He was acting as if he didn't even know this truth because he was pressured. He had a little peer pressure from others. He stopped having fellowship with them. He stopped eating with those who look different. He stopped eating with those who had a different background. And it was breaking the truth of the gospel. You see, the gospel unites. The gospel makes us partner with others. I love our mission partners around the world. I love our ministry partners. I know that God is, has made us for one another. It's what I love about our community groups. I just started up again this week that God has not made you for a solo flight. He's made you for us and for one another. But we need to have a fellowship that goes well beyond these walls. I want to talk to those of you who look around here and you feel like maybe you don't fit in. I want to talk to those of you who look around thinking, you know, I don't know if I look like the rest of this group. If you're here and you feel that way, let me plead with you. We need you. We desperately need you. Because the beauty of the bride of Christ, it's every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people group. And the beauty of the bride of Christ, it is diverse and it is beautiful and it is glorious. And I long for a church that looks more and more like what's coming in the coming kingdom. And the beauty of, of being different. God never wanted a homogenous church. He wanted a church from every tribe, tongue, people, shape, and size. Diversity, but united in unity in Christ. May God bless us with that reality.
As we practice the gospel, we should walk straight because of the truth of the gospel. The gospel causes us to walk straight. I love the word. It's a very interesting word that, that Paul uses to confront Peter. He's saying that you're not walking straight. And really the, the literal word, orthopodeo, it's basically, you got to have a straight foot. Think of orthodontist. It gives us straight teeth. He's basically saying Christianity, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life should cause you to walk in a certain way, should cause you to walk in a certain straight footed manner. Why? Because you are accepted and beloved. Christianity doesn't say walk this way, act this way so you could become forgiven and loved. No, no, no. You are forgiven and loved. Therefore, your path should be straight. Therefore, you should walk in a manner worthy of his name. Ephesians 4.1, Galatians 1.10. You should walk in love, Ephesians 5, 2. Our lives should have a different walk to them. Practice the gospel. We should defend the gospel. Let me ask you, what do you vehemently defend? What is it in your life that when someone talks about it, someone mentions it, someone crosses the line, that you just say, that's it, here we go. That you just can't restrain yourself anymore. What is it in your life that once that button is pushed, once that discussion is started, once that bell rings, you're answering the call. What is it that you vehemently defend? The Gators? A political party? A constitutional right? I know I'm meddling right now, and I got to tell you, um, I don't like doing this, but I'm going to step a little bit into some political waters just for a minute. God help me. You know what I hate? Is when constitutional rights or politics gets associated with Christianity. Like if you are a Christian, you believe this. Do you know that's the gospel plus? That's our day, the gospel plus. You're truly a follower of Christ. You think this way, you vote this way, you, th- you act this way. This is how and who you are. And to me, that's repugnant. I know there's a lot of fervor right now around a constitutional right to bear arms. And I told the congregation a little bit of a misleading statement in the early service. I said, I don't even own a gun. I realized I have these two. <laughs> All right, I'm going to step back out here for a minute. <laughs> what do you vehemently defend? I mean, seriously, what, what, what just gets in your ire? You just can't but help it. Is it the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it the good news that God has rescued us through the life and death of his son? In a world that tells you that's private and personal and keep it to yourself or keep it in church? Do you get angry and defend other causes? Are you defending the cause of Christ? That is our calling. That's what, that's what Paul is doing, even when it cost him to go toe-to-toe with Peter. The world desperately needs to see a gracious, merciful, loving God through a broken sinner like you. They need to see that it's about grace alone. It's about faith alone. It's about Christ alone, according to scripture alone. 
We can't keep it private because this is his world and we are his ambassadors. And the reality is, as we practice the gospels, we should confront others with their sin. The most loving thing we should do is, is when they start drifting is to get up in their grill and say, what are you doing? I love you, man. What, what, what are you doing? And keep from gospel hypocrisy. Now, the question we want to ask is, why is scene two a public scene? Why in the world did Paul and Peter have it out before everybody else? And you may want to ask, couldn't have Paul been a little better with this? Couldn't have Paul said, hey, Peter, come aside here, man. Let me tell you something, bro. You're messing up bad. People are following you. Look what you're doing. Why didn't Paul do it in private? You ready for this? Because Peter's sin was done in public. Public sin needs to be dealt with publicly. And it was not just a small deal. It says that Peter stopped having, hanging out, having fellowship with the Gentiles. And it says, so other Jews stopped having fellowship with the Gentiles. And even Barnabas stopped having fellowship with the Gentiles. It was done in a public forum. It was a public sin and had to be dealt with publicly. And I love Paul for doing it. I confronted him to his face in front of others because he was condemned. And listen, he knew better. It says that Peter, that his hypocrisy, it's, it's a Greek phrase for play acting. He was acting as if he didn't believe it, but he knew better. He had, that, he had a revelation himself from God in Acts 10 and 11. Come on, Peter. Public sin needs to be addressed publicly. It doesn't happen a ton. Private sin needs to be addressed privately. So let's make sure that we honor Christ with that. If you're offended by somebody or someone's in sin and it's a private thing, deal with it privately. If it's a public thing, we got to deal with it publicly. But we are to practice the gospel. We are to be the ones who believe the gospel, practice it. Our life should be squared with the gospel. Have you heard the phrase practice makes perfect? Throw that out. It's not true. Because what's perfect anyway? For the Christian, for, listen, for the Christians, listen, the message today is not practice makes perfect. It's because you've been perfected in Christ. Practice. Because you've been perfected in Christ and who you are. Practice, walk, walk differently. Live differently. You are forgiven and loved and you are an ambassador. The gospel has set you free. Don't practice to get perfect because the perfection of Christ is enough. Live for him. Let me give you a couple of thoughts, a couple of questions as we close. Do you know the gospel? Oh boy, I hope you're not here thinking that if you go to church and you try harder, maybe God will love you or accept you. That's not the gospel. I hope you're not here to think, well, I, I grew up and I'm better than my neighbors and I'm doing a pretty good job. I think at the end, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, is you're a mess and I'm a mess, but God loves us and he sent us everything we need to have life and life abundantly in Christ. That Jesus lived the life we deserve, we, that we should have lived and we didn't do it. He died a death that we deserve and he did it for us as a substitute, as a lamb of God. God placed our sins on him and he rose from the dead and death is defeated. He's the victor over even sin and death. And all we have to, by God's grace, is trust and believe in him. That's the gospel. Are you walking in line with the gospel? Is your, is your huh, right-footedness, are, are you walking according to uh, what the demands of the, uh, the hope of the gospel, the, the glory of God's great name? Are you in fellowship with others? 
Do you only hang out with those who are just like you? And he's asking, look around. I mean, I hope your life is replete with folks who don't vote like you or think like you. Or, or I mean, that's just the beauty of the gospel. We got to get in and, and link arms to believers. Now, we also want to rub shoulders of those who don't believe to be salt and light in the, uh, to this dark world. But I sure hope that we have fellowship with those who don't look like us. Are you trying to add anything to the gospel? I'm going to go back this way because I think you're probably a lot like me. For me, usually adding to the gospel is not circumcision. It's not dietary rules. <laughs> For me, it's my own righteousness. For me, it's like, I just want Jesus and Jeff to be good enough. I could earn this. I could stand before God and have my own righteousness. That's not the gospel. The gospel is our life is hidden in Christ and he is enough. Are you caring for the poor? I mean, tangibly, are you caring for those around you? I mean, not just a token here or there, even sacrificing because Christ is sacrificed to give us everything we have and everything we need. The truth of the gospel. May God impress it upon all of us for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this incredible text. And again, on the surface, it, some of just Paul's anger just seems to dominate. It's kind of hard to follow sometimes the, the line of thinking. And God, we thank you that we see the truth of the gospel. God, I pray for the one here that maybe never saw the gospel clearly until today. God, I pray that they'd realize that it's not about them and their righteousness, that it's about the sufficiency of Christ and Christ alone. And that you would give them the grace and you would give them the faith to repent of their sins and believe in the gift of Christ Jesus. God, for those of us who are here, who are yours and who still keep trying to add our own righteousness or add something in, God, lead us to repentance. And God, I pray that we realize that our lives should be a living proof of the reality of the gospel. Thank you for not only pulling us into the story, but making us your storytellers. And Father, may the world see you through us. Father, we thank you for this amazing grace that you have given to us. And God, I pray that you would continue to build your church here at Orangewood that we would have great fellowship with those in our community and around the world that are different than us. God, forgive us when we align an agenda of this world up with the gospel. God, may we be people who fight and fight hard for the truth of the gospel and the glory of Jesus alone. We pray in Christ's name, amen.